The truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. Yo, yiggity, yo. Welcome back to Civil Diligence. Politics made simple for the everyday millennial and why you should give a damn. I hope everybody's well on this day whenever you're listening to this podcast. I'm doing pretty well. It has the nerve to mother love and snow in the middle of gosh darn April. And I'm upset. Living in the Midwest, I'm sure, has its benefits for some, but for right now, I am perturbed. I had to bust out my flipping boot, and I packed those away, people. I really did. And the fact that I have to bust these jokers back open, ah, I'm upset. It makes my ass itch to the highest degree. And for the people who do not believe in global warming, (laughs) come to the Midwest. I will prove you wrong. But anyway, as you all know, I like to start my show off with disclaimers. Disclaimer number one, I curse, as you may have already could tell. Two, I will mess up the English language, if you couldn't already tell. Three, We may not see eye to eye. We may not agree to certain things or ever agree to anything that I talk about on this show. But we can respect each other's point of views. We can still have the conversation and we can keep it moving. And hopefully we can still be friends at the end of the day. Boy, I'm in the kingdom. That is my qualifications on speaking on today. And five, by the time you may listen to this episode, things may change. So keep that in mind as you continue to listen. All right, what I am here for this week. What I'm here for this week is a segment I like to do to bring in a nice little joyous moment of what you're here for this week or last week or the last time that me and you have spoken. It's anything from pol- politics sorry I cannot speak politics pop culture sports or something personal whatever makes you happy we're gonna speaking on today yes what I'm here for this week is the fact that this memo or you know the investigation it will be released soon and I am ecstatic that it will be coming out because so people can shut the hell up about it I think that's more so of anything that I am more like yay about because I'm just over it I think that after two years this has been a pretty redundant thing and I'm just like can we just move on from this and like you know keep it moving because it's just redundant and I understand both parts of views points I understand both points of views from a democratic standpoint where 
if there's nothing to hide, you should release it to the American people. I also believe that the Democrats have a second motive to try to catch this man up in a fraudulent activity or something to get his ass impeached. Hey, that's cool and all, but I also want to say this, that if indeed this was factual, I would just hope William Barr would be a man of his word and try to, like, he would be honest about it if there was any collusion in there. I would hope that he would be an upstanding person and work for the American people and not lie. I'll say that. I hope that that's not the case. But in all actuality, I just feel like, oh God, I can't believe I'm actually fucking saying this. I just feel like y'all just trying to catch him up and in his words, it's a witch hunt. And trust me, I am not the one to be pro-Trump. I, I just don't like him as a human being. <laughs> Policies aside, I just don't like him as a person and what he represents as a person. That's just my personal views. Fuck it. But I just feel like we can move on from this. If indeed there's nothing from this investigation that perjurizes Trump, move on. Let's worry about other things, guys. Like 2020 is around the corner. Campaign season is really starting out. And by June or July, campaign will be ready to kick off and I just want people to like you know worry about the issues let's worry about immigration let's worry about health care let's tell let's worry about our fucking budget because I honestly truthfully believe that in October we'll be here again about this damn budget let's worry about some things that is a real issue in America and let's just stop pointing the blame game. On a Republican standpoint, I get why they're annoyed. Okay, he didn't collude. Can we move on? I get it. And it does seem like this is the Democrats trying to say, oh, we're going to catch him up on something. And that's probably partially why they want his tax returns. Because I feel like you might be able to get something on that. Now, this is just a conspiracy. There is no facts behind this. You all can say that I'm full of bull and everything underneath the sun. Okay, and that's perfectly fine. But all I'm saying is this. If there's not a big deal, send out your fucking tax return. I think there was some um, conflict of interest in his tax returns or he just didn't pay, which wouldn't be his shocking. I wouldn't be shocked about either result. But other than that, guys, can we pass a bill, a budget, something? Because it's getting to a point where we're just becoming really hostile. And I hope that this investigation brings some peace of mind to not only Congress, but also Americans. Because I do believe that we have the right to know what the hell was in this report since millions of tax dollars went to this damn investigation. I believe that we have a right to see it. I believe we have the right to know what's in it. Because let's personally be perfectly honest, y'all work for us. And I will continue to be that, you know, entitled and spoiled and whatever you want to call it. Because y'all really do. We vote you all in to govern us. 
So I think that we have the right to know. Another thing that I'm here for, which I think is totally awesome and wonderful, that LeBron's school that had opened up a little less than a year ago is doing phenomenally well. Like the students they are um, that are enrolled in the schools are top of their class and they are brilliant students. And I think that that is such a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. Again, I, I'm not really a LeBron fan. I, everything that he does doesn't piss out gold for me. But he got a supporter when he opened up the school. And I think that is so remarkable that he is being used in this way, in this manner to to progress the next generation. And the fact that they are doing well, despite people having hesitant thoughts or having suspicions about the school, the fact that they're proving them wrong and that these kids are becoming bright and having a good filled education. And he had and spearheaded this vision, this dream, this goal. To me, it's wonderful. And I hope and pray that they continue to do good things. And I wish them nothing but the success. And hopefully nothing bad happens to that because the fact that I am all for the next generation getting a proper education, just tools and resources for them to succeed in life. So I'm all gung-ho about that. All right, that's all I'm here for this week. You all want to tell me what you're here for this week? Email silverdiligence at gmail.com. You can also do it on Facebook or Instagram. I'll be glad to hear what you're here for this week. And I might actually try to point things out in my like social media to get you all to interact. Because, you know, hey, this is more so like an interactive show. And I like it when you all interact with me. All right, moving on to like the hearty meat of what I want to talk about this episode is healthcare. Yes. So I see a lot in the news lately about healthcare and about, you know, what to do and if this is going to be a new agenda for the Trump administration. Is this going to be a heavy topic for the Democrats hopefuls in for 2020? I see a lot of people saying that they're going to repeal it. This sucks. We need to get rid of it. All that and the third. I'm really, really, really curious on like how people feel about healthcare. I think that it is a topic that is sensitive for American people. And I think that it can go both ways. The government shouldn't necessarily be involved in the healthcare of the people. But at the same time, we should at least make it accessible for all Americans. And I get the goal of what of the Affordable Health Care Act was meant to be. Like, it was a beautiful idea when the Barack Obama administration brought it to the lights of Americans and brought it to Congress to begin with. It was beautiful. It was spectacular. And I, I was for it because I believe that everybody has the right to health care. I believe that to equality. Whether or not it's quality or not, we can get into that in a moment, but I believe everybody has the right to have access to healthcare. And that might be very socialist of me. That might be very, you know, communist of me. Fuck it. I just believe that that's just a bare necessity. Um, and <laughs> for a human to survive because everybody got dealt a different hand and I shouldn't have to be punished because I was born with preconditions and 
I couldn't help that when I was a baby or what have you. And now I have diabetes. Now, granted, some of that could have been on me. But there are pre-existing conditions that are happening. And I believe we should have access to at least live. To have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I believe that, that every American has that right to do so. I believe that, that every human has that right to achieve those three simple things. And healthcare definitely falls in line with that. So I believe that that is true. Some people may disagree with me and that's perfectly okay. But the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, official term for that, is basically a huge overhaul an expansion of healthcare coverage since Medicare and Medicaid. So it basically is an expansion of making sure that Americans, more Americans have access to healthcare. The major provisions came into force in 2014. And by 2016, the uninsured share of population had roughly half, with estimates ranging from 20 to 24 million additional people covered during 2016. The increased coverage was due roughly in part to an expansion of Medicaid eligibility and to major changes in individual insurance markets. So this included new spending funded through a combination of new taxes and cuts to Medicare provider rates and Medicare Advantage. Several congressional budget office reports said that these provisions reduced the budget deficit that in repealing ACA would increase the deficit and the law reduced income equality by taxing primarily the top 1% to fund roughly $600 in benefits on an average to families in the bottom 40% of the income distribution. And I think that's pretty much probably where, I don't even think probably, I, that is where the majority of the pushback is on that because I know a lot of people who make a decent living, rates and premiums are increasing. So those people are like, well, hell, I ain't about to pay a kidney for health insurance. So it almost like flip-flops in a sense that, you know, the lower half of the population, the population's income are able to access it, but people who are in a a higher tax bracket their premiums increase so much so really the top one percent is paying for people with a lesser income to get health insurance and affordable care act does have a lot of benefits as i have stated and it's maybe overshadowed because of the negative messages about aca which outnumbers the positive messages 15 to 1 and three years after it was approved, 54% of Americans still opposed the act. And this led to Donald Trump's actions to try to weaken it. And in 2017, the Tax Cut and Job Act repealed the tax of those who don't get insurance. So basically, you know, in the Obamacare, there were people who you needed insurance to in order not to get taxed. If you didn't have insurance or you didn't go ahead and get insurance, you were automatically taxed. Well, the new tax cuts and jobs acts repealed it. So millions of healthy individuals may drop their plans when the law becomes effective in 2019. That pro- It's not even a probably, it will alter that plan. And I get why it was done because you're going to have it self-destruct. 
and you're going to have to change something with the health care plan. And I think that is what happened when Trump and the Republicans tried to repeal it back in 2017 when they first started toying with the repeal of Obamacare. And I think once it failed to like repeal it, it was... I think Trump's mentality was allowed to fail in itself. So part of that that destruction of it was taking it with the tax plan and the tax act was doing different things, repealing it that way. They dealt with Medicare and Medicaid, repealing some of that to make sure that that plan all in totality can fail. There's lots of components that I'm probably not going to be able to cover in the next nine minutes. Lots of components of this act that's pretty darn lengthy. And unless you really take in a class or really understand healthcare in totality, it probably would be hard and difficult to understand. But I'm going to try my best. So I basically want to give you all like some pros and some cons of this act and let you all make your own decisions on whether or not this is the bee's knees or not. So a pro of the ACA is that it slows the rise of health care costs. Well, supposedly. It does this by providing insurance for millions and making preventative care free. This means people receive treatment before they need expensive emergency room services. And in 2016, the cost of health care services increased 1.2% for the year, for that year. That's much less than the 4% increase in 2004. It requires plans to cover 10 essential health benefits. These include treatment for mental health, addiction, and chronic disease. Without these services, many patients wind up in the emergency room anyway and increase your costs. I think that it was so beneficial to have the part of mental health and addiction and chronic disease because mental health is real. And I think we're having more mental health awareness now in the coming of age than we did, let's say, 10 years ago or 15 years ago. We have people to treat addictions. And with opioid crisis being as prevalent as it is, now we have a whole debate on opioids and where it stems from and X, Y, Z. I think that is crucial to treat those addictions and having that be covered in your health insurance. And chronic diseases, things that happen for a long period of time, which wasn't covered in a lot of health insurances before Obamacare. Those costs are passed on to Medicaid and therefore the taxpayer. Now, I get it. Like, I'll say all this at the end, but I I get why people are a little bit frustrated on that note. But it's not on the patient per se. It's more so on the taxpayer. It's on everybody. Three. Insurance companies can no longer not deny anyone coverage for pre-existing conditions. They can't drop them or raise premiums if beneficiaries get sick. Because what the hell do we have health insurance for if we are not covered when we get sick? I never understood that. I never understood when I was taking health law. I never understood why this is even an issue to begin with. Because what is the point of insurance? It would get dropped from that. And health insurance was like like car insurance or, you know, renter's insurance or any kind of other insurance that's in the United States. It was like that. So the fact that it covered pre-existing conditions 
That was pretty darn nice. It eliminates lifetime and annual coverage limits, which insurance companies use this to contain costs to $1 million per year. Beneficiaries who exceed that limit had to pay 100% of the costs. Five, children can stay on their parents' health insurance plans to to age 26. And I just want y'all to know, as a millennial, now granted, I have my own health care insurance now. As a millennial trying to make a dollar out of 50 cents, Lord, that was a nice provision. My personal opinion. Another one is the middle class earning up to 400% of the poverty level, receive tax credits on their premiums. It expands Medicaid's 138% of the federal poverty level. It provides this coverage to adults without children for the first time. So before, if you had children, you got this credit automatically or whatnot. But now, if you don't have kids, well, it was to the fact when you didn't have kids, you could still get this tax credit. So it wasn't so burdenful on you come tax time. It eliminated the Medicare donut hole gap in coverage by 2020. What this is basically is Medicare Part D coverage that is supplemental health coverage for prescription drugs related to Medicare plans that you have to sign up for an extra cost. So it was tried to eliminate that gap with your prescription drugs in a sense. So you don't have to pay so many out-of-pocket expenses, deductibles and co-pays that could apply. Another thing that it did was businesses with more than 50 employees must offer health insurance. They receive tax credits to help them with the cost, in theory. So if you are a business with 50 more employees or you work for a business that has 50 or more employees, you are able to get health insurance through them. And 10. It did lower the budget deficit by... 143 billion. Well, it was it's supposed to lower the budget deficit by 143 billion by 2022, according to the Congressional Budget Office. It's supposed to do this in three ways. First, it reduces the government's health care costs. Second, it raises taxes on some businesses and higher income families. Third, it shifts cost burdens to health care providers and pharmaceutical companies. So those are the benefits. And in theory, if you are in the middle or lower class, this works out for you. If you are in the upper middle class, you are pissed and you hate this plan. Ha! So, and that's where we get into our cons. Well, one of the cons is 3 million to 5 million people lost their employment-based health insurance. Many businesses found it more cost-effective to pay the penalty and let their employees purchase insurances plans on their exchanges. Other small businesses find they can do get better plans through state-run exchanges. Two, 30 million people never had company plans and relied on private health insurances. So insurances companies canceled many of their plans because their policies didn't cover the ACA 10 essential benefits. For those who lost those cut rate plans, those costs of replacing them are high. The ACA requires services that many people don't need, like maternity care. Now, many people are not trying to, you know, have babies. Or, you know, for men who can't have babies, it it wasn't beneficial for those people. Three, increased coverage raised overall health care costs in the short term. That's because many people receive preventative care and testing for the first time. It was expensive to treat those illnesses that had been ignored for decades. 
The ACA taxed those who didn't purchase insurance, but many avoided the tax through an ever-expanding list of exemptions. So that's how people kind of got away from trying to pay in, like I said, pay that tax because they didn't have health insurance. Five, four million people chose to pay the tax rather than pay for coverage. The Congressional Budget Office estimate they paid $54 billion. Six, in 2013, the ACA raised the income tax rate for 1 million individuals with incomes above 200000 It also raised taxes for 4 million couples filing joint returns on incomes exceeding 250000 The rate increased from 1.45% to 2.35% on income above the threshold. They paid a lot. I will say that. They paid a numerous amount. And I'm reading off like stats and statistics because... I want you all to know that I'm not just pulling this information out of my ass. This is actually what really, really happened. In 2013, another thing that's a con, in 2013, medical device manufacturers and importers paid a 2.3% additional tax. Another thing, pharmaceutical companies paid an extra $84.8 billion in fees between 2013 and present. It made it more expensive. In 2013, families could deduct medical expenses that exceeded 10% of their income before they could deduct any expense that exceeded 7.5% of their income. Now, the Tax Cut and Jobs Act restored that deduction to the 7.5% limit in 2018 and 2019. That is pretty much how, you know, it's probably going to start to dwindle with the ACA. It's because of that tax. Because somebody has to pay for... Medicare and Medicaid. That's just the point of the matter because they are government-run things. They're That's a government-run healthcare plan. So somebody has to pay. It got it from the top and it created a lesser burden for the lower class. But somebody has to pay for that. And we pay into the government. That is just the truth of the matter. And I think it goes into a point where what means more to you? And where do you want your taxes to be paid to? And... It's the age-old thing with a Republican and Democrat, conservative, or a liberal when it comes to where do you want your taxes to go? Do you want to keep your money or do you want to give your money to the rest of the people? And that's the thing with healthcare or welfare-funded programs. It goes back to do you want your government involved into your livelihood or do you want them to leave you the hell alone? Where do you see your government? And I think that... That's the confliction because there are so many people who want health care. I don't think nobody necessarily says, oh, fuck health care. I think that it goes into like fucking health care is expensive as fuck. Fuck this. And I think that in turn, as I said in the beginning of the show or the beginning when I started this discussion and conversation, the ACA was a beautiful idea giving health care to people who could not afford it, giving people the access to have health care who have pre-existing conditions. I think that it was beautiful for that as somebody who has medical problems in her family and who have pre-existing conditions in myself. I saw a huge benefit in having the ACA pass through Congress. 
Now, I can see the other end of it where the fuck, if you are making $250,000 or more, you're fucking pissed. You're getting so many, you're getting taxed out the ass, essentially. I have my personal beliefs on that that I won't get into just yet, but I see that point of view. And I'll say this, the ACA does need to be fixed. And I think that's with any law that comes into place that has like this long expansion or this like the long goal that has this like long goal that's like, oh, this you really won't see benefits till 2050. (laughs) That kind of thing. So I think that there should definitely be some adjustments in the ACA, which I never thought that it should ever be a full repeal. Never thought that. It shouldn't have never been a full repeal, but I think that there should be adjustments. And I think the issue is, and what has been for a long time was, hey, the Republicans had 2016 to do something. They had 2017 to do something. And well up until 2018 to do something with healthcare. And they didn't. And I think that is... The issue, I think that's going to be a huge issue because you have the power to repeal it, fix it, do what you do with it. And I think that it's a cop-out to let it crumble on its own instead of making a plan. What's your plan? What's your backup plan? What are we doing with it? Like, are you, what's the plan? What's the details? What's the minutia of what you're going to do with healthcare? And I think that's a question for a lot of Americans. What are we doing? Whether you're going to repeal it, but what are you going to put in place of it? And since they're missing that grand piece, I think that's an issue of why people are not going to repeal this. But with not repealing that, but you're taking bits and pieces away from it, it's going to crash anyway. Because a major part of the paying for ACA was that taxing people and that tax cut. And since you repeal that part of it in the, ta- in the tax plan, it's going to ultimately crash and burn. And the fact that we're not doing anything or thinking about like, hey, this is happening. What are we going to do instead of this, in light of this? We're not having that. That's bullshit. That's bullshit on Republicans. And now that we necessarily can't blame Republicans anymore, like Democrats, what y'all doing? Hello? Hello? So, because y'all, y'all control the house. So what are we going to do? And I think that's going to be a major discussion come in 2020. What are we doing with our healthcare? I don't have the answers for this because healthcare is hard. Like just learning about Medicare and Medicaid for the state of Illinois alone makes my head hurt. And I have worked in a state agency that has dealt with Medicaid and Medicare. And I've had to learn to a degree the minutia and the ins and outs of how to conduct and how to implement Medicaid and Medicare laws. But in the sense of the matter is we're at this loss, we're in limbo. And I don't know about you, but I don't like being in limbo. I am so curious on you all's thoughts. I'll end it here. I'm curious on whether or not you all agree, basically, that the ACA should have a full repeal. If you are in agreement of the Repeal Act, what are what do you think should be in place? Do you think that it should all be, you fend for yourself? Do you think that the ACA was a good idea? Do you absolutely hate the ACA? All people can comment on this. I am so curious to have this discussion, debate, conversation, what have you. 
Email silverdiligence at gmail.com. You can come in contact with Silver Diligence, me, through Instagram and Facebook. Check that out. Check out the website, silverdiligence.com. It'll have links to all my episodes. You can listen to all of my episodes haha, on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Music is where it's on. Google Play Music and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for supporting. I am on a network, guys. I am on CMU Radio, where I am a part of a family with other podcasters, and I am excited about that. So check that out when you get a chance. And until next time, guys, let me know how you feel, all that stuff like that. Be great. Be safe. Be in the kingdom. Most importantly, be you. Bye, guys.